The ETF Edge podcast is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, supporting the innovators changing the world. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast. If you're looking to learn the latest insights on all things exchange-traded funds, you are in the right place. Every week, we're bringing you interviews, market analysis, and we're breaking down what it means for investors. I'm your host, Bob Pisani. We saw a wave of single-stock bull and bear ETFs launch last week. Today on the show, we'll discuss... Why now? Why Tesla and Apple appear to be getting the most attention? And how exactly these leveraged and inverse ETFs work for the average investor? What are the mechanisms behind them? And are they setting the stage for more complex products to launch down the road? Here's my conversation with Dave Matza, Managing Director and Head of Product at Direction, Will Ryan's CEO of Granite Shares, and Reggie Brown, Principal at GTS. Dave, I'm going to start with you. You launched these Four single stock ETFs last week. You had two for Apple, two for Tesla. This Tesla daily bull ETF of yours, this gets uh, investors one and a half times Tesla's daily return. Uh, it's doing well. It's got some volume. How would you describe the trading action overall? And, and tell us who you're targeting this product to, considering, of course, it resets every day. Yeah, that's correct. We've been encouraged by the early success, particularly of TSLL, as the ETF industry continues to innovate uh, and shows the resiliency of the actual vehicle itself. These are tools similar to uh, other leveraged and inverse ETFs that are really intended to be used as a tactical trading vehicle. And so by that, I mean specifically someone who has the ability and interest to monitor their positions on a daily basis to make that buy, sell, or hold decision daily. Because these funds do have leverage embedded in them, particularly uh, in the case of, of our uh, bull fund on Tesla and Apple, 1.5 times the daily exposure. And then the inverse uh, of that in the case of the bear funds that we're discussing today. So these funds tend to have, uh, they're gonna have a higher risk profile because they have an individual security and they're really intended to be used by traders. But again, um, we have shown that the uh, leverage, and, uh, leverage and inverse ETFs on indices um, have been useful tools for Hold traders. And Hold these uh, actually are, are a further step in that direction for folks who are interested in the convenience of an ETF uh, and, and the benefits that the ETF structure can bring to allow them to amplify exposures. You know, uh, Will, I just want to turn to you. You launched several new products. You launched an Apple ETF last week. Uh, you launched Coinbase, Tesla. We, we've seen these leverage and inverse ETFs. They've been around for a long time, but they've been around for index products like the triple Qs. And I'm just curious, all of a sudden, single stock ETFs have appeared. Uh, you know, why now? What's, what happened? What magic was in the air for them to be able to launch now in such a big way? There was a regulatory rule change in the last couple of years um, that have allowed for this to happen. And it's really just a natural evolution in terms of the market, because as you said, we've had leveraged products on broad indices, such as the Qs, S&P, et cetera. We've had leveraged ETFs on commodities, which have been very popular, single underlying commodities as well. And so now single stocks are the next sort of generation in that category. So allowing people to take either leveraged or short positions on popular companies. Yeah. You know, uh, Reggie, I, I, SEC Chair Gary Gensler, who I've talked to many times, uh, has expressed concern about leverage and inverse ETFs and these other, what he calls them, complex products, which is a, uh, a sort of an overarching uh, uh, category he's defined. Uh, he had a speech in May. He said these funds can present unique and potentially significant risks to investors across market sectors. Um, I, obviously, these products are complex. Uh, it is difficult for investors to get their head around the concept. 
uh, of the daily reset. But how much protection do you think investors need from these products? Well, look, I think that's a good question. Um, as Will said, and um, these ETFs are now trading tools, not investment tools. And understanding how best to utilize them is paramount. And from the perspective of leverage um, and, and inverse ETFs, they've been around for a number of years. I believe the community now understands them well. And the risk to the marketplace is really just retail investors understand how best to use them. There are some proposals on the table to limit uh, the exposure to the retail community of complex ETFs. I think that's a giant mistake um, to limit the access to the financial market systems and contrary to what's great about the U.S. system. So with the innovation that is occurring in the leveraged ETFs, particularly in single stocks, by the way, this is not a new idea. Um, it was first proposed um, in 2009 when uh, there were low price corporate equities like Citigroup that were trading in the teens and certain um, uh, institutional investors could not hold low price securities. And so it serves a purpose. Um, I think that this uh, type of, of ETF has the ability to have a thousand different uh, corporate equities inside them and bring innovation to the marketplace. And this is a good thing. I think investor education and some protections is warranted, but not limiting the access uh, to the marketplace. Well, let me just pick up on what Reggie was saying, uh, Will or, or Dave, either one of you. Um, do we need to put these uh, these products in some separate classification? This has been talked about before because these are essentially day trading tools, right? Even you guys would admit that, right? So should we change, for example, the sales practices of broker dealers? Should, should leverage and inverse products be in some separate category? Will, Dave? Dave well, Dave, Will? They should, I mean, they're, they're under the rules currently. I mean, they're publicly traded ETFs. And so if a publicly traded ETF, all ETFs are the same in terms of you being able to buy them. Now, what's happened is over the course of time, as Reggie said, I mean, these products have been around for a long time. You know, brokers, which are the access point at the end of the day between the investor and the ETF, have implemented their own rules in order to make sure that these are suitable for the customer base. So typically, if you go buy one of these products or try and buy one of these products for your broker, there is a flag, some sort of um, suitability measure that you have to meet before being able to buy them. And that's perfectly logical. Yeah. Dave, do you want to weigh in on this? Yeah, I would agree with that, uh, to Will's point there, is that uh, there's rules that have been put in place by broker dealers to uh, to make it clear that these tools are intended to be used as trading vehicles. So you need to have a, you know, generally an aggressive trading profile and things of that nature. But as opposed to limiting access, you know, uh, I believe and we believe that we need to promote education and the utility of how these products can be used. Again, these are not long-term investment vehicles. The ETF wrapper also has many, many products that are extremely low cost that can be used to meet those needs. But also, there may be a need, uh, particularly in, in heightened uh, times of volatility, for those who are interested and those who understand the inherent risk to express viewpoints and to amplify their exposure on a daily and daily basis and on a short-term basis, who want to make that view. Again, if you're bullish on Tesla uh, over the long run, this is not the product for you. You should buy the single stock or use other tools to do so. But if you're bullish on Tesla on a short-term basis, this to this product, um, TSLL, yeah. for example, can be beneficial. I want to just get back to why now. Uh, and Reggie, feel free to weigh in. But I can't help but notice, I watch ETF flows, I could not help but notice the volumes in leverage and inverse ETFs, particularly around uh, high 
uh, beta stuff like the triple Qs went through the roof during COVID. And actually, it's remained fairly high. If you look at the ETF trading list, Reggie, you're the master at this every day amongst the highest volume is those leverage and inverse triple Qs that are out there, even, even on a dollar volume basis, not just a share volume basis. And I can't help but think that the ETF community is sitting around noticing this saying, oh, there is a demand for leverage and inverse. And uh, the younger community has grown up around using options. They're a little more sophisticated. And we're, we're in the ETF business. Our business is providing product to people. There seems to be a lot of interest in playing leverage products judged by what we're doing. So am I crazy? The, the, the answer to the question is why now is because this is where people have been going recently. Yeah, and I think it's again comes down to you know leverage is not a new concept. It's been around for a long time, sure. but leverage within an ETF makes it accessible in your brokerage account. You know, if you have other forms of leverage, typically that can be clunky to implement, expensive in terms of you know the financing rate that you can obtain. And this is definitely something that you have a lot of investors looking for a higher rate of return over a shorter period, and this is what these products you know, seek to provide. Yeah. Reggie, am I directionally right on this? I mean, I'm still trying to answer this question, why now? I mean, there was an explosion of interest in leverage and inverse ETFs around, for example, the triple Qs recently. You've seen that. I mean, is it, isn't it reasonable to assume that the ETF community is responding to that, to that interest? Well, I think there's a couple things here. One, during COVID, work from home, work from any place, uh, we had more engagement by new retail investors into the marketplace and as they understood more what the products were available for them to express their views, we saw an explosion in trading uh, from a day trading perspective. Right or wrong, uh, the benchmark serves a certain part of the community. And I believe that uh, there are some investors that like to have amplified returns and where they can make four or five or 10% returns a day um, in, their, you know, in their strategies. So there's a segment of marketplace that demands these products, that want to use these products, and Will and Dave are just filling a need. As far as the number of products that come to the marketplace in the future, competition uh, and through innovation, the prices will come down as far as expense ratio in these products and a number of products on the marketplace with a number of different uh, yeah. uh, asset managers launching products. Why now? One, because the regulatory rule set has flattened the playing field for uh, new interests to come into the marketplace. Uh, with some speed and efficiency. The commission has an understanding of how to approve these products. On one hand, they're saying you're approved. On another hand, they're saying, please don't trade. So I yeah. think the commission uh, just needs to have uh, more comfort um, into these products and how best they're fitted into the marketplace and how best to use them from a retail perspective. But institutionally, uh, there's institutions who wanna use these products. There's big demand for them. And then you look at um, the high price stocks like Tesla, for example, there's a lot of day trading in these corporate equities and having it into an ETF to price leverage is just meeting a need. So that's why now I'm like, yeah, it, it, Dave and Will, I'm very curious about the amount of leverage in, in, in your products. So, you know, Will, you have your Apple long ETF, AAPB is one in 0.75 times long. You have a Tesla long ETF, TSL is the symbol. That's 1.25 long. Uh, Dave, uh, your Tesla bull ETF is 1.5 times long. How did you choose these degrees of leverage? I mean, it, was the, is, do you negotiate with the SEC on this or do you pick it out of a hat? I mean, it, I'm just curious. It's such a strange series of numbers here. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a negotiation. 
but the, we start with two, so the, the maximum is two times now, so you can't launch something that's more than two times leverage. And then during the registration process, there are a set of rules, particularly it's, a, it's around a new derivative rule, that has a value at risk measure. And it's derived from the benchmark, a reference benchmark that you choose. And so in our case, we're obviously choosing a different benchmark than what Dave's firm is choosing for Tesla, and therefore we have a different leverage factor. So uh, Dave, is that the case as well? I mean, uh, when, when, when you say what's at risk here, explain that, that concept. Because why didn't you just have two times? And why, why not? Why one and a quarter or one and three? It just kind of makes me, it befuddles me a little bit. Yeah, I, uh, I appreciate where you're coming from from that point of view when you have the same security uh, uh, underlying and in different leverage points from, from different firms. But to Will's point, yes, it's, uh, it's a balance between the regulatory environment where uh, there's specific rules around what's called a measure of, of VAR or value at risk, um, which is essentially. Um, you know, really, uh, really, again, a measure of risk. Um, in some ways, very complicated, but in other ways, uh, straightforward um, for, for those who are interested in learning. And in that particular case, when you map it back to a particular benchmark, these, the, the 1.5 that we have in the case of, of Tesla and Apple are the levels that we're comfortable as our firm uh, to, to comply with those rules and offer a product prudently to the, to the marketplace. Um, so again, you know, these are uh, uh, more sophisticated in how they're created. But at the end of the day, the wrapper is still the ETF structure, and we're complying with all the same rules that any ETF uh, would, would, would have on it. Yeah. Reggie, uh, several viewers have asked me to ask you this question. I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot, but it's an interesting question. Uh, walk us through how the daily reset actually works. Some viewers are actually befuddled by how that works. So uh, I have, we have this daily Tesla bull, one and a half times shares ETF, the TSLL. It gives you one and a half times Tesla on a daily basis. What actually happens at the end of the day during the reset? What what this, what gets bought and sold? The viewers, several viewers, have asked me to sort of, can you explain well, what happens in the reset? Well, to, to, to keep it as simple as possible, um, there's a swap that is um, that is utilized to give the uh, the, uh, the the leverage effect uh, in all ETFs and then some counterparties. Some ETFs have five different swap counterparties. To reduce the risk to individual investors, if there's some sort of uh, corporate risk to the swap counterparty. Remember, when some of the banks had an issue, uh, their their credit wasn't good, and the swaps they were they were issuing became at risk. So there's swap counterparty risk here, and so the leverage ETFs um, they are backed by a swap, and the strike price or or the cutoff period is the ending of the leverage, and then the ETFs are still trading after the cutoff period uh, where the swap is, is struck and reset. And then this ETF has a gamma effect or uh, another derivative effect yeah. of how they're trading. So it's important to understand, one, read the prospectus, two, understand when is the cutoff time, when does the leverage stop? And then, you know, and, and this is not necessarily meant to be a long-term holding. And so there's a reset, you're getting the daily exposure return of the underlying asset, and at the end of the day, it resets, and then it starts again the next day. Right. So it's meant to be held for one day, and if you hold it over a period of days, you're getting the reset effect, and you're getting another derivative called gamma, or where it's resetting inside of it, you're not getting the full return. So yep. it's important to understand, one, when is it reset? 
What are the periods not covered? And then the next day, what happens? So it's important to understand these important factors. Now, yeah. Will Ryan can uh, accurately describe how he built his products and when does the cutoff period begin and what happens after that? Well, the thank you for that, Rich. I knew you do the answer. I'm sorry, folks. I know that was a little wonky, but people were asking. It's So here's the question. Swap counterparty risk. I mean, Gensler's worried about this. I'm trying to figure out, is this some weird fantasy of his or is there something? Is there some way that, a, that somehow a swap counterparty risk could translate into some uh, effect on the underlying stock or even some systemic risk in some way? He, well, I'm trying to get out what's the worry here. Well, if you're talking about counterparty risk, which is obviously a valid concern when you're talking about a swap, which is a bilateral contract between two parties, that the risk is the whoever the counterparty is, typically is an investment bank, if they go bankrupt, then that will affect the value of the ETF. Now, obviously, we saw this during the financial crisis with Lehman Brothers, and there were a few exchange-traded notes that were issued by Lehman Brothers that were canceled uh, or redeemed as a result of that. So people lost money. So that is a concern. But again, going back to the points that um, I think could be mentioned by, by Dave and Reggie, that these are designed really to be held for short periods of time. So if you're holding for a short period of time, typically counterparty risk is not going to be like one of the highest sort of levels of concern here because you can trade in and out of it. Yeah. Um, Reggie, uh, I'm just curious about what you think about the the type of single stock ETFs or the, the, the names that have been issued recently. So we have these Tesla ones we've been talking about that people are interested in. But I wonder how much demand there is for some of these other single stock ETFs out there. I mean, we have them for Pfizer. We have them for Nike now. Does anyone really need Pfizer single stock leverage and inverse ETF? Uh, we have them for PayPal and NVIDIA. Maybe there is for NVIDIA. I, I, I can't help but think, I, don't, I want your opinion, will these Will interest in these things coalesce around the high beta names, which kind of makes sense to me? Or are we going to have hundreds or thousands of low-volume single-stock ETFs out there? Well, fortunately, the markets are efficient. There'll be winners and losers. And issuers will not uh, leave a product in the marketplace that's not um, getting reception by gaining assets. So do you need to have uh, a levered ETF on Pfizer? Probably not. Uh, will you need it on Apple or Google? Um, when I say need, will they be desired to have it? Uh, probably. So these products are meant for daily returns, for daily exposure. And so generally, uh, stocks that have um, high conviction, high beta, high volatility is where you'll probably see the most success in a levered or inverse um, single stock uh, structure in the marketplace. And I'm a little loath to call it an ETF because we're starting to get into innovation that is broadening the ETF industry. And this is a good thing, it's bringing more investors into the marketplace. But having a clear view on investment tools versus trading tools as we go further into innovation is probably the, the best practice that we can put in. I say we, the ETF industry. Some sponsors have been talking about this for a couple of years. Um, and as we see more innovation like this, I think it's probably the best case. Yeah. Uh, Dave, uh, what's next? Um, can you give us some insight? What other single stock ETFs are coming? What are you what are you working on here? Everybody thinks there's more of this. Yeah, again, we're encouraged by the early success and early interest, both uh, particularly from a trading volume point of view uh, in uh, in our initial launches, especially around Tesla. And as, as I've noted before, 
Uh, we have filings for other securities, particularly some of the mega cap names that you're going to see. Again, we're talking about names in the case of Tesla, almost a trillion dollar market cap. In, in the case of Apple, uh, approaching $3 trillion in market cap, the largest security in the world, the fourth largest security in the world. So I do expect to see uh, further innovation here, further filings and launches in the space. Uh, we're really at this time focused on, again, those larger names uh, that have depth uh, depth of volume and liquidity around them so that we are, are in the best position to, to both create uh, ETFs and manage them, uh, in this case, as daily, daily trading tools. Well, as I knew, he wouldn't tell me any names. Of course not. But so the logical names are, you know, uh, semiconductors, uh, e even the high beta oil names. I, I mean, every day, if oil's moving, I could tell you a half a dozen oil names that are moving twice. You know, if oil's up one, they're up two yeah. or down. I mean, I could I could do this. In fact, let me do this. I'm going to leave. You take my job. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So what? Help us out. Where, where, where's this going? Yeah, that, that, that's true. Look, I mean, a part of it is obviously, as Reggie said, we've got to bring products to the market that number one customers want and then number two that are commercially viable. So the, the answer or the question we always get asked is, can you do it on GameStop or can you do it on AMC? And the question so far, the answer has been it's been too volatile. So we can't provide you know, a consistent level of leverage. So over there's time. actually a level where it's too volatile. For, for you to, and, and under what That's circumstances right. would that be a problem? It goes back to the rules that we are under in terms of the regulatory rules and how we can launch products. So why we have the different, what we call leverage factors. So the you know, 1.5 times or 1.75 times. And so there are stocks that are just too volatile um, that wouldn't be able to, to com compute with that rule. And so we wouldn't be able to offer those because it's consistent leverage. And again, going back to the reset, the rebalance, you're reinvesting those profits every day at the rebalance at the end of each day. And so sometimes there are stocks out there, you know, there are any, any instrument, commodities the same, they're just too volatile. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a great answer. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I didn't think about the fact that it would be too, too volatile. Uh, now, folks, I want to thank you. We've got a fascinating discussion. I know we got a little wonky with Reggie there, but that's why we have Reggie, because, you know, he's the expert in this stuff here. Now it's time to round up the conversation with some analysis and perspective to help you better understand ETFs. This is the Markets 102 portion of the podcast, and I'm joined with my old friend who's remote with us, Reginald Brown, principal at GTS. And those of you who don't know GTS, they are one of the largest market makers in the world. Reggie, how, how large are you? How many markets and countries do you make markets in? Well, we're global. Um, from New York, um, we make markets on the New York Stock Exchange. We're 1,200 listings on the New York, um, where we do the opening and closings. You'll see us through CNBC, right behind in the blue jackets, SGTS. Um, we also cover um, uh, the ETF spectrum globally, um, trading U.S. ETFs and where they're listed. And then, from the perspective of rates and uh, and crypto, GTS is there. So we're we have a significant footprint in the marketplace. And we tend to be the broker's broker, not a household name. And we make the markets work. Yeah. So we talked today about these single um, stock leverage and inverse ETFs, which have descended on the marketplace. And, you know, we had Will on and uh, Dave Matza on. Um, and the standard line here is, well, these are for professional investors. But you watch the flows in these very carefully, being with GTS. Can you can you tell us who is using the product? Is it is it 
professional investors that are out there that are arbitraging, you know, a Tesla long ETF against Tesla futures or Tesla stock? Uh, or is it retail investors who are watching Elon Musk tweet and saying, let's go long or short Tesla? Who, who's using these products right now? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely re- the retail community um, that's day trading, that's taking uh, bets directionally uh, based on what they're seeing in the news and what they think uh, the long asset class will trade. There's definitely the hedge fund community um, that has a portfolio that they're watching and they're using the amplified returns of Tesla and others in order to deliver results for their shareholders. Um, that's a big part. And then there's a large market making community that's keeping the ETFs in line to its underlying uh, assets, whether it's the swap uh, that the ETFs are built upon for levered ETFs, or also there's futures, um, there's single stock futures out there, and there's also broad based other types of products that correlate well to the levered ETFs. So it's a holistic community out there that's driving the flow. But yeah. primarily, the success of these ETFs is we built on underlying asset classes that have high volatility, that moves around quite a bit, uh, high price securities like Tesla, like Apple, uh, and others, and that where there's a lot of significant interest uh, for what they're moving every day as far as price movements. This, this product is so interesting because it seems to me, you know, the average investor can't get their head around the daily reset. Uh, and I think the average investor is, is probably either going to lose money or not get the return they want over time. And, but the professional investor intrigues me here. And this goes to the, the efficiency of the market. So, for example, a professional investor might see an opportunity. He, he might see some inefficiency in the market. He might find some way to own this this leveraged, say, Tesla ETF and also own uh, a, a Tesla future or the underlying stock. And, and somehow, by some, ar- some uh, arbitrage mechanism, essentially make money on a consistent basis. Or is, is that a silly idea? I mean, the markets are not perfectly efficient, right? No, they're not efficient um, from the standpoint of where is the, the best and cheapest liquidity. So... In a, in a levered ETF that's been out for 12 years, that's you know that's used by a lot of users, that's high a lot of daily uh, volume. The price of acquisition or the price of using is it's pretty low because the bid ask spread is, is pretty tight. Um, when you're looking at newer ETFs where you don't have a lot of average daily volume, the bid ask spread will be at the arbitrage zone, and then you'll have to pay a little bit of premium to to capture that. Inherently, because that's where the marketplace has set where you can buy and sell. But from the perspective of to your question, it really comes down to the user. The user wants the cheapest exposure. And then if they're institution, they may not want to put up you know, 100% collateral or a fully paid account. So they may use um, uh, a future where they get some leverage and then not put up the collateral in order to get wholly exposed into the instrument. So it really comes down to cheaper to deliver and then the uh, setup of the end user. Yeah, that makes some sense. I'm, I, I, I know this is getting wonky, folks, those of you who are listening, but there is 
a way I think that these products can fit in with the toolbox of a truly professional investor who knows how to use them. So I'm, I'm saying there is definitely a use case here. What concerns me is, is the crowd that gets up in the morning and say, oh, Elon's tweeting, let's go shorter long Tesla. And then, you know, over several days, it diverges dramatically. That, that's what I'm concerned about. Let me just move on and talk about the mutual fund flows in general. You watch these very carefully. And what amazes me is sitting and watching this business for so many years is how consistent the inflows actually are. Even this year, through six months, with the market you know, down almost 20% at one point, we still saw overall inflows, uh, even into equity ETFs. And it was remarkable to me, and of course, as you know, most of this is still plain vanilla uh, indexed ETFs where the money keeps going in. But I wonder what you think accounts for that. I mean, it, it, it seems to me, in a year when the markets are down, when the markets are up, nobody cares about the fees that much. But when the markets are down, fees matter, and, and, and we still saw money coming out of mutual funds and, and into ETFs. Um, I don't know if that fee structure still matters, but how, how do you account for the consistent inflows? Well, I was at a recent event um, where one of the investment bank CEOs, I won't name him, um, was talking about this $2.2 trillion in household net worth um, in this particular period of time, there's a lot of money sitting on the sidelines. Uh, it has to be deployed. And I think smart investors have recognized that great companies are trading at historically a discount to their forward-looking earnings. Um, and there's a lot of controversy around, are we in recession or not in a recession? I think people are expressing their views. So the inflows into equity mutual funds and ETFs are representative that you know, people along America, they believe that fundamentally the economy is strong. It is. Look at the jobs report. And, you know, the flows are consistently strong into, you know, across asset classes. Yeah, rates are higher. They'll probably go a little bit higher in order to bring down um, inflation if if we still have it. You know, this is still a growing problem. But it's temporary. And I think a lot of folks understand that um, based on the jobs report, based on housing and based on the fundamentals of the economy. If you look at the ETF flows, you know, thematic, uh, the, the, the thematic ETFs, you know, they're all the rage. I mean, they're, they're capturing 130 billion of assets, you know, into these products. And if you look at just overall how people are thinking about it, yep, there's the ESG crowd. Yes, there's the oil crowd that, that wants the exposure to what's happening in oil. But you got to go someplace in order to capture it, and the flows are coming to the marketplace. Yeah, when you say thematic, do you mean like thematic tech, like you know, cybersecurity ETFs, yeah, just, for example? Yeah, all the themes, whether it is you know oil-related healthcare, uh, you know, blue sky stuff. You know, it's just you know, there's so many different products in the marketplace where investors can jump into, and then now they're going to the themes. This new momentum trade, they're gobbling up cheap beta basically cheap beta mutual funds and ETFs uh, and are going to the themes. And because there's so many different investors going into the thematic ETF spectrum, whether it's ESG, whether it's healthcare, or whether it's clean energy like uh, electric vehicles, and they're going into you know sector bets here, you know, I think that's driving the interest, it's driving the flows, it's driving the returns. And all this stuff is positive because you have now a large retail uh, community that's engaged around uh, best ideas and where the money's being made. 
Yeah, good point. All right, Reggie, I'm going to leave it there. I always appreciate your insights. Uh, folks, Reggie Brown is a principal at GTS and one of the great legends of the ETF business. Everybody, thank you for joining us on the ETF Edge podcast. Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Become an agent of innovation. Invesco QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.